Before we get to today's episode of Five on the Floor, make sure you check out one of the great sponsors of this podcast and the other podcasts in the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is AutoNation. They're the largest auto retailer from coast to coast, and their friendly and knowledgeable staff here in South Florida will help you save big on a huge selection of new cars, trucks, and SUVs. Toyota, Honda, Chevrolet, Mercedes-Benz, and much more. And if you're looking to buy pre-owned, shop AutoNation's huge selection of one-price pre-owned vehicles, all clearly marked with one price, the lowest price guaranteed. Or if you just want to get rid of that old car, turn it into cash today, get a top dollar offer and a check the same day. They'll buy your car with no purchase necessary. Your check engine light on right now. Get the services you need at low AutoNation prices, oil changes, tires, batteries, and more all for less. Call or visit AutoNation.com to schedule your appointment today. All right, but here's the thing. I used to say that a lot. If you're in the market for a new car, make sure you DM me at five reason sports on Twitter. That's the number five reason sports I will give an AutoNation senior manager your information with your permission so they can reach out to you directly and walk you through the buying process. So no waiting online, no getting lost in the sauce or any of that stuff. An AutoNation senior manager will reach out to you directly. And now on to today's episode. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, a.k.a. Alf954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five on the Floor podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick. This is usually where I say uh, here as usual with Alf Sydney, but no Alf today. He actually has real jobs. So he had to work. You can find him at Alf954. Check out our last episode uh, where we, we were so bored for content uh, because we put it out on August 15th, which I consider the absolute dead spot of the NBA schedule because it's a month after free agency has basically ended and it's a month before training camps open. So we actually, Howard, and I'll introduce my next guest in a second. We actually spent 25 minutes debating NBA 2K's all decade teams. That's, that's what we did. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm going to engage you on that after I introduce you, but I'm not going to engage you for 25 minutes. Uh, make sure you check out the other podcasts in our network. It's really easy. We now have 14 others. All you got to do is type in five reasons sports in your favorite podcast provider, whether it's Spotify, Podbean, Pocket Cast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, tune in, uh, whatever it is you listen to us on. Make sure you hit five reasons sports. Latest three yards per carry, of course, the Dolphins as we speak. Uh, although you probably won't hear this until after it, playing their second preseason game. Fish Tank uh, did their first training camp episode with Alan Hearns and a bunch of other current Dolphins uh, this week. Also check out Smart Your Territory on wrestling. Out for the count on boxing, we added Alex Dono uh, to that podcast. So make sure you check out that as well. Obviously, Alex is a, is a specialist in MMA, so we're adding that to our menu. But today, I'm going to talk to an old colleague of mine. Well, he's not old. He's older than me. Um, an old colleague of mine from Bleach Report. He's still at Bleach Report, about to head on vacation as we speak. The great Howard Beck. You can find him, of course, uh, very simply on Twitter, at Howard Beck. Um, and uh, it's good to have you with me, Howard. Ethan, my friend. It's been too long. Thanks for having me. It, it has been. It has been too long. Maybe we'll have you on again uh, pretty soon. I've actually I had uh, a couple of our mutual friends on lately, Vinny Goodwill, uh, Candace, Candace Buckner, um, who basically doused Heat fans uh, with some reality about Bradley Beal, so she won't be back. <laughs> but <laughs> she gave me a big, you know, Candace, she gave me a big wah-wah about the Bradley Beal thing. I said, when he's <laughs> traded here, when, not if, when he's traded here, um, I will, uh, I will be playing that back on all of the podcasts. So uh, I'll get to that Love it. also. Uh, all right. So I'm going to engage you with it on this for a minute, just cause we, we did this for a while. Obviously you've covered the NBA for a while. 
uh, covered the Lakers, uh, covered, uh, unfortunately for you, the Knicks, um, and, and, and now covered the general NBA. But uh, these NBA 2K teams that they put out, these all-decade teams, like most people didn't really have a problem with the 80s, I don't think. I, I don't know. if Did you see them, by the way? Did, did they cross your timeline? I have not. I have, they did not. Like, I saw that there was chatter about this, and that NBA TV, I think, was tweeting about it, too. And I just, but I missed the entire list. So I have no idea. Whatever people are outraged about, and I can rest assured that they are, because they always are, I'm not sure uh, which outrages are the most important ones right now. So you can, you can fill me in. Well, there's only one outrage that matters down here, and it involves number three always. But, I, but let's, let's go to uh, – <laughs> so, right, but, but I'm, I'm going to go to something else. Okay, so the team in the 80s, I'm trying to call it up, uh, as we speak, right? The team in the '80s. Uh, I mean, pretty pretty simple to kind of figure out, you know, a co- what a couple of them uh, might be. I mean, you know, you, you know, we've got Magic Johnson, obviously. Uh, you know, we have we have Michael Jordan uh, in the backcourt. I, I think uh, you and I can agree on that. That that's that's uh, that that's pretty good. That, I mean, we're not sure. going to have any argument good on place that. To start. Good, good place to start. All right, so we're we're kind of got, and then Larry Bird at one forward. Um, the other two positions were uh, there was some controversy about, which was at the other forward spot it was Kevin McHale, and at the center mm. spot it was Moses Malone. Um, would you like to interject with anybody else? Um, this is the '80s, yes. And Kareem is not the center. <laughs> so you'd like to interject with somebody else? Yes, I, I, that that I one jumped so. out, right? Yeah, yeah, that's um, interesting choice. Um, mm-hmm. Was this based on some algorithm as opposed to like people? I, uh, I, I don't know. Doing, I mean, it was based know? on I think whatever Ronnie Two K decided. Howard, um, I, I, you know, I, and I think you know some of us know Ronnie Two K because you get that message every every year. Can, can we run your use your Twitter account at our game? Sure. What do I get paid for that? I, Nothing. Uh, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. So, which, which is, which is why I've never been in that game. And I have, because I'll, I'll take any publicity I can get Howard, but anyway, so good <laughs> or bad. Uh, so yeah, Moses Malone and Kevin McHale. So uh, yeah, you mentioned an obvious other one. I, I guess the, the thing with Kareem is that he wasn't still in his prime, but I mean, they did go to mm-hmm. what, five finals in that decade. I, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were a dynasty and they were, you know, I don't want to say they were the defining team of the decade because then the Celtics fans get all bent out of shape. The Celtics and Lakers were the co-teams of that decade at, at minimum. Um, Pat Riley will disagree with that assessment. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, how, the, it, it's correct. Like, and at least uh, a big chunk of that Kareem is still Kareem. Um, right. So I, 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 I just, I don't see any way where a guy who's in the goat discussion and still has a bunch of great years in the time span that we're talking about somehow takes a, a back seat. Um, at his position and that's all due respect to Moses Malone but come on well I see I almost feel like they felt like they didn't need to throw a sixer on there and, and I think they could have done that at the other forward spot right like I mean, could, couldn't couldn't you have put Dr. J there instead of Kevin McHale sure yeah um, I think uh, you know Laker fans might lobby for James Worthy, Worthy. right uh, we mentioned um, yeah um, wow um, Barkley could be in there right yeah, I guess he was drafted um, in '84, right? So I mean, he wasn't—he wasn't, he wasn't yeah. on that '83 team that won the championship. It feels like they wanted to stick somebody in there from the '83 Sixers, and I'm just wondering if you're going to do that. Why not pick the guy who actually changed culture in some ways? I, I you know, that I mean, that and yeah. 
right? I mean, I, I mean, is, is Dr. J higher on the all-time list at his respective position than Moses would be at his? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to break that one down. I think that the, the, the issue really more is this, that as we do with all of these things, because we've picked arbitrary endpoints, you know, you mm -hmm. point out, okay, well, Barkley drafted in 84, so he's missed, right. you know, a few key years of the 80. Well, that's why this is flawed from the beginning. If you're going to be strictly about that, then, well, was he one of the greatest players of that decade? Yeah, of course he was. Are we docking him for not being drafted until 84? Well, you know, it just, it gets weird. It gets weird in a hurry because of, because of the arbitrary endpoints. And that's the same thing with the Kareem thing where it's like, well, he entered the, the decade as one of the greatest of all time and still was at the end, but he just wasn't in his prime anymore. So right. I don't know. Uh, it, <laughs> anyway, this is, right. this is exactly why people make these lists. So that they can get absolutely. All the so, I, so, so I can bother you with it. All right. So in the nineties. Okay. Akeem at center. We're not going to argue about that. Right. Like we, we feel good about that one. Akeem in the nineties. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess somebody might make a case for Shaq. Um, mm, again, yeah. we, we have fewer years, uh, not drafted until, what, 92? So right. um, misses a couple of years there um, and loses to Akeem in the finals, and Akeem wins two championships see, in there. See, to me, that's the thing, so, right? So, so the other, the other yeah. guys in there would be David Robinson or Shaq, and Akeem head-to-head -head on them um, pretty much handled yeah. in that decade, right? Yeah, I, okay, okay, yep, I'm there. Yep. All right. So the forward spots, you mentioned Barkley before, but I, I don't have a problem with the guys they picked. Uh, Carl Malone and, and Scottie Pippen. Yeah, really, really hard to argue that one. I mean, Malone versus uh, Barkley is one of those age old, you know, debates. Um, sometimes I think it's just a matter of preference or personality or, you know, um, it, it, I, it's, it's, I think it's hard to parse out with those two guys. Mm -hmm. And Scotty has to be on that team. Has mm -hmm. to be. Agreed. Agreed. And my, Michael and Stockton, which I don't have a problem with either of those either. I mean, I, you know, I guess Michael's the obvious. No well, yeah. yeah, right. But, but I, but even Stockton, I, I just, when you look at, I mean, yeah, there are other choices, Clyde Drexler, there, there's other names you could come up with during that, that, uh, you know, Reggie Miller, you know, could be in the conversation, I guess. Um, but I just think, yeah, I, I just, I mean, you're talking about the all time assists assist and steals leader and a guy who went to the finals twice as one of the two best players on his team. Yeah. Um, is, is Isaiah retired too soon to yeah, be see, in there? See, or? See, see, I think that you're right, though. The, the thing with Isaiah is, again, he straddles decades, right? So it, you could, yep. like, he's late 80s, right? And then he's kind of early 90s. So, but you can't put him on yeah. the 80s team because you've got Magic and Michael. And, and you know. Yeah. And plus, you know, then, you know, Michael wouldn't talk to him either. And that, you know, that'd be a problem on the team. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but the nineties, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I still think it's Stockton cause you just look at the totality of the decade. I, I think it's up. All right. I'm going to get to the one that everybody's arguing about down here. Okay. Uh, right. the two, the two thousands. All right. Shaq. Fine. Okay. Yes. Uh, at, at center Duncan at one forward, LeBron at the other forward. Anybody argues any of that they're idiots. Okay. Um, we're, you know, that's fine. That front court is set. Um, mm -hmm. Kobe at one guard. Okay. The other mm -hmm. guard that they chose, and I'm not going to try to poison you with this on any of this, because I, I think there's a choice better than the one people think down here. Possibly the other guy they chose was Iverson. Yeah, I could have predicted that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And who would first come to your mind in the two thousands play? It doesn't have to be a point guard playing next to Kobe. 
Yeah, any obviously they're going by position, but or they're not going specific, right? Like they're they're not insisting right. on point guards; they're just going guards, no. forward, C- center, C- center, forward, guard. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is one of those tricky things. So Iverson is is beloved and idolized, and for great reasons that go well beyond just skills as a basketball player, right? People love his heart. People love that he, you know, uh, was great despite being uh, diminutive, we could say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people always bring in that whole pound for pound thing, which I hate that phrase. Actually, now I know what I should, t- how I should respond to that Twitter thing about which phrase would you eliminate from the NBA? It doesn't apply <laughs> as much today, but I would eliminate pound for pound. Pound for pound is grading on a curve. When you say Iverson is the greatest pound for pound, what you're mm-hmm. saying is if only he were a little bit bigger, right? but because he's smaller, we're going to give him extra credit. And mm-hmm. that's how we're going to elevate him in the discussion. Well, that's mm-hmm. dumb. I mean, the NBA is, is a big man's game or was for a long time is, is now a, I don't know what it is. Now it's a mutants game. Now it's like if you're six ten with ball handling and shooting skills uh, or seven feet, but it, the idea that pound for pound, he's the best something or other, what it means is you're grading on a curve. You're saying we need to give him extra credit because he's small and we're, we're extra impressed by him being able to do things at that height. And if only he had, you know, four more inches on him, he would have been really, really good. Well, that doesn't make up for the fact that he, you know, was a volume shooter who shot at a very low efficiency. And I know we didn't talk about efficiency in the same way back during his time as we do now in the analytics era, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make it any less important or significant to the game. He was awesome. Um, but he didn't achieve that much. And, uh, you know, yes, he carried a a team to the finals that a lot of people thought was, you know, this great achievement of carrying them, but look at who he had. He had all these guys who perfectly complimented him, who didn't need the ball, who weren't going to demand it. Um, and who played defense and did all the other things that he was not going to do. Uh, Dwayne Wade's a better player, Mm -hmm. period. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that to pander to, to South Florida. I'm saying that because my own, uh, just whatever my, my own value system in evaluating players, mm-hmm. even when I, we were in that, that pre analytics era and I was covering Kobe and there was a whole Kobe versus AI thing because they were natural rivals, same draft class, Kobe uh, born or, you know, grew up in it largely grew up in Philly uh, Iverson playing in Philly. Um, and they were playing the same position more or less. And I always thought, man, uh, Kobe gets dinged for some of the shots he takes. And it was mostly because, well, you should have just passed the shack instead Iverson got a complete free pass. It was like, well, you know, who's he, who's he supposed to pass to? Which, again, right. always the easy way out for people cheating on, on that argument. Um, Kobe was a better player, but there were years there where people argued for Iverson. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody would now, but they did then. And mm-hmm. so I always kind of looked at Iverson as being, a, you know, a little bit too flawed for, for the, the lofty stature that he occupied. Again, doesn't mean he's not a Hall of Famer. Doesn't mean he's not great. Doesn't mean he's, he's not amazing. Doesn't mean that he wasn't phenomenal to watch. Doesn't mean that he wasn't a, uh, a really important cultural icon for the NBA uh, in, in so many ways, again, that, that were off the court. But he's not as, he's not as good as effective as, of, a, of a guard, in part because of his size. Sorry, pound for pound people. I'm throwing that out. <laughs> Dwayne Wade, with his extra four and a half inches or whatever on him, um, and also just with his shot selection and overall effectiveness – and his passing was a better player. I agree with you on that. And obviously I'm not going to disagree with that 
with my audience. Um, but I actually don't think either of them should be the other guard on the 2000s team. Um, Whoa! I, I, yeah, well, and I definitely don't think it should be Iverson. Although, you know, again, the knock against Dwayne in the 2000s is that Iverson was average 30 for three seasons before Dwayne even entered the league in that decade. And so yeah. I, I, I think that that, yeah. again, this is part of just a timing issue. But the guy that I would probably put there is Nash. Um, mm. I, I think if you, I mean, he won both of his MVPs during that decade, yeah. obviously after he turned 30, he was, he had the number one offense in the league, what, six times in that decade, uh, whether it was with Dallas or with Phoenix, he was a system. I know he didn't win a title. They might have if Diaw and Stoudemire don't come off the bench. And, you know, he basically, you know, brought sort of D'Antoni's system to its full flourish, which we haven't seen since because, you know, it, he, he's, you know he tried to do it with Chris Duhon and Jeremy Lin, and, you know, now it's just hand the ball to Harden and get out of the way, right? But I, I just – to me, the other two options here are Kidd or Nash. And, and I, was I, gonna, think, I was just going to say Kidd, yeah. Yeah, I, they're the other two options. And, I, you know, when I pulled it down here, it's 81% Dwayne. But, again, I, I think that, you know, what happens here, again, it's biased. But it's also, uh, you know, because I, I believe that Dwayne was the most complete player of any of those four. Um, you know, I think you can make a case for Kidd in his prime, possibly. Nash, obviously, defensively was nowhere close. Uh, and neither was Allen, okay, in terms of who he could actually guard. Because you could put Dwayne on a small forward. You couldn't put, you couldn't put Allen on a big two guard, okay? And that, like you said, no. that's, why the, that's why the pound for pound thing is, I agree with you, ridiculous. But I think you can make a case. I, like people are making the argument for Dwayne down here, but I think you make a case for Nash. I mean, he—they were, you know, a team that won what sixty-five games one year, um, and it was him. Like it was him. Like I know they had Amare and they had, you know, and they had uh, Sean Marion running the wing, but like Steve made that thing go. And so I think you can make a definitive case uh, for Nash there. I know you're fond of him too. I, I and it's nothing against Dwayne, yeah. but it's it's just that. You know, Dwayne's peak was basically, uh, you know, the, to me, 2008, 2009. It was after he came back from the injury. So it was towards the end of that decade. You know, obviously you had the 2006 finals in there. Nash doesn't have a moment like that. Nash was not the defender that Dwayne was. Um, but, you know, Dwayne also, you know, missed basically a whole season in 2000, 2007, 2008. Um, I, to me, it would be, I would put it Nash first, Dwayne second, and then Iverson and Kidd somewhere in there. Yeah. And again, this is one of those tricky things where all, what are we really evaluating? Are we evaluating their overall skill set and on both ends of the court? Are we arguing, you know, um, impact, you know, who, who defined the decade? Or are we arguing simply achievements like championships and MVPs? Because Dwayne's got the championship. Yes. Um, you know, Nash has the two MVPs. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, and kid, kid had what was. I've just got to decline, decline a quick call here. Uh, oh, no problem. Hold on. Did, uh, I didn't want the meets getting in there. No, sorry. And, and did kid, that kid won an MVP, right? He won an MVP his first year in Jersey, did he not? Or was he second? No, he didn't. He didn't actually win it, I don't think. Uh, I think okay. Duncan won it that year. That's uh, right. The, the year they've been talked about, kid, Duncan won it. Yeah, that's um, right. But, but, you know, but still, kid revived a, a moribund Nets franchise and got them to two finals. Um, you know, do you, this is one of those uh, the, the NBA math questions. Do kids two finals and, and losing in both times, uh, are that, is that greater than or equal to Nash's three conference finals, but no finals? You know, um, you know, at the end of the day, you both lost, right? You, right. you, didn't, you didn't win the championship. Um, but the Suns made three conference finals uh, with Nash. 
And in that, that, that D'Antoni period you're talking about, they go 62 wins, 54, 61, 55. And as you point out, you know, uh, best offense in the NBA, I think probably throughout that stretch helped revolutionize the game, uh, made basketball fun again after a, a pretty, you know, uh, you know, ghastly era of, uh, you know, isolation and, you know, ball pounding and, and everything else that was going on in the league. And so Nash's impact on the era beyond the MVPs um, and just in terms of style of play and what those Suns teams helped revolutionize. Now you can say, well, it's because of D'Antoni. You can say it's because of Nash. You can say it's because of the whole collective with Stoudemire and Mary and every, however you want to parse it. I think you, you can make a very strong case as, as, as you are for Nash. Um, but, you know, if, if you're, if, if you're doing the just, well, let's draft the 2000s guards. Right. Are you taking Nash ahead of Wade or not? Like that, that becomes a matter of preference. That becomes a matter of, well, who else you've got on your team? Um, it's a really interesting discussion. Uh, I, I think Nash and Wade are the two best options, as you point out. And, and I agree. I think AI and Kid are, are next. Um, and I, again, my, my personal bias, I probably lean Kid because this combination of just passing genius mm. and on-court leadership, the way he elevated teams, the way he elevated players, uh, and plus his defense. Um, yes. I think yeah. to me, if I'm drafting a guy, I'm taking Kid over AI. Yeah, I agree. I think Iverson's fourth. I, I think Iverson's fourth. All right, we won't dwell on this too much, but the 2010s, LeBron and Durant at forward, Curry at guard. I think those are pretty standard. Uh, the other yeah. two, Harden at guard, Dwight at center. I, I feel like we're so mm-hmm. far away from when Dwight mattered that I, I don't – everybody's got clouded at this point, you know, since he's played for every team yeah. in the Southeast Division but the Heat at this stage. Um, or at least <laughs> – They're the smart ones. <laughs> well, right. Well, they weren't so smart at one point. There was a point they were trying to get him. But um, – Everybody you know, did. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, right. That's true, too. And he may be back in L.A. Who knows? Uh, but, but Harden – you know, I was trying to think of somebody else just because I have this bias. Um, but I don't know that there is anybody else. Uh, is there? I mean, at the guard spot, other than uh, for the 2010s, is, is it James Harden? Or is it, well, is it, could it be Russell Westbrook over James Harden? I mean, well, the, the, other, the, other, the other strongest candidate based on the MVP and just his gaudy stats is Westbrook, who, look, I regard Westbrook in kind of the same way I regard AI, and I don't have to repeat the reasons. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious. Um, Westbrook's kind of a bigger version of him. Um, and so Harden, it's definitely Harden over Westbrook, whether it's Harden over anybody else. Um, I mean, look, Harden's been in the MVP discussion, what, three straight years where he's been, or is it four straight yes. years now where he's been at no worse than second um, and won one in there. Um, yeah, I think it's got to be Harden. I mean, there are other guys that are, like, are really, really good, um, but Chris nobody – Chris, Chris Paul gets your attention at all for this? He, he does. Um, I think that, you know, uh, on the one hand, Chris has, uh, excuse me, I got to this call again. Um, on, on the one hand, Chris Paul uh, has the defense that Harden doesn't play. He's more of a distributor. Um, he helped revive a moribund Clippers team mm-hmm. in much the same way that Jason Kidd once did with the Nets. Um, Chris Paul should get a ton of credit along with Blake Griffin for making the Clippers respectable for the first time in their history. And, you know, again, if we're talking impact beyond just stats, beyond just skill set, if we're talking impact, the impact that Chris Paul made within the decade is pretty damn huge. Um, you know, on the other hand, like Harden's made the Rockets, you know, a, a contender, you know, year in, year out. Like, okay, they haven't made the finals. I get it. It's you know, only one conference finals. I get it. But, mm-hmm. 
his impact on the game and the way we see the game and the way we, we see uh, what a guard can do, uh, the, 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 just his own innovations, as, as much as people may hate his innovations in the way that he draws fouls and uh, his, his, you know, 15 uh, step, step backs, you know, like we can mock it all, but the guy has made an indelible impact. Um, so that's a tough one. I probably lean Harden over Chris Paul a little bit, but I could I could easily talk myself into Chris Paul. And then you know, like look, there's a bunch of other guys who are who are just who are interesting, but I just don't think anybody elevates to that level. Right. Well, if I was actually building this team, I would put LeBron at the point and 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 replace Harden with Kawhi. And that's what I would do. But that's the, the fun. The funniest discussion of this summer was the LeBron's going to be the point guard for the Lakers, and I thought he's been the point guard for every team he's ever played for. Can we stop? <laughs> like I don't understand. Right, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going I'm to sound like Jeff Van Gundy for a minute here, where because Jeff Van Gundy is always not understanding things. So let me be Jeff Van Gundy for a minute. I don't understand how Ben Simmons comes into the league could, called a point guard at six ten because he has the ball in his hands, but LeBron comes in at six eight with the ball in his hands all the time and was not a point guard, and we called him a forward or a point forward. How is LeBron not the point guard on every team he's ever been at, been on? And don't tell me it was Mario Chalmers that or was, Mo Williams. Yeah, point, no, no, point God. Point God, Rio Chalmers. Um, <laughs> okay, you're on this podcast. Proper respect should be given. He was, <laughs> he was just in the big three. He was asked if he's the best shooter in that league, and of course he said yes. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, Kyrie even is a combo. I mean, most guards are combo guards these days. So, I mean, anybody LeBron was going to play with, you know, that was going to be the case. But I'm with you. And, and as far as center with Dwight, I just don't know who else there is, honestly. Like, I, you know, I'm Marcus All. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, th- there's just, I mean, Boogie for a little while, right? I mean, that looks like that yeah. might be over. But I, there's just not a lot of choice there. I mean, it's, it's you know, in terms of, of who you were going to go with, I mean, you know, you had Chris Bosh had a turn at center for a little while. But, like, I mean, there's – it just doesn't seem yeah. like there's a lot of other great options. It's kind of, kind of Dwight by default. All right, we're going to get off of this. Um, when we come back from the break, I want to get into the top five uh, front offices in the NBA with Howard. And uh, maybe I've set him up here and maybe I haven't. Another of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network. I can attest to this personally because they just threw out my traffic ticket for me. It was no problem, no points on the license, no other details that I had to deal with. You've got to check out the law firm of Seltzer Mayberg. You can find them at onecalllegal.com. That's onecalllegal.com or call one 855 5,000 law, 1-855-5,000 law. They handle cases including but not limited to car accidents, slip and falls, and of course, traffic tickets. And they've got a new 15,000 square foot office, which we work out of at times as well, on I-95 in North Miami. They handle cases from all over the state. They got a special now. If you mention five reasons or five on the floor, they will take care of your traffic ticket for $49.95. Go check out that price somewhere else. You're not going to get it. Call now, 24-7 service for a free consultation. That's one call legal dot com one eight five 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 thousand law seltzer mayberg all right right back here on five on the floor all right so howard beck covers the entire nba um he has a perspective beyond south florida so i've not told him who to pick here i just told him that we were going to talk about this so part of this is what happened this offseason but really want to look at it in totality because i just think there's a lot of interesting stuff you talk to a lot of executives around the nba you talk to a lot of agents who talk to a lot of executives um you talk to players who deal with executives and I just think it's interesting how reputations of general managers and, you know, presidents and all the rest change over time. Uh, you know, whereas you have like Danny Ainge was a genius, you know, two, three years ago. And as he's building all these assets and now you look at it this offseason, you're like, okay, what did all those assets become? Maybe he's not as much of a genius anymore. I would like to get Howard Beck's 
top five front offices in the NBA right now? Whew, man. Um, so one, I hate you for, for doing this to me. Um, on the other hand, <laughs> you're going to lose thanks, all of your thanks. contacts. You're going to lose all of your contacts. I'm just, I'm going to take all yes, of them. I, all your, phone yeah, numbers. they're all every, every single GM is going to hate me after this. Well, maybe, maybe like 25 will hate me. Um, but also thank you for doing this because it made me really think about this. And, and like, you know, I, I started trying to rank them and I'm like, well, that's easy. I, I know who the top five are. And I start writing them. And the next thing I know, I had a list of like nine or 10 and I'm like, oh, okay, well, all right, but wait, there's a few others here that I should probably, oh, now I've got 15. <laughs> well, I know who my bottom, I think I know who my bottom five are. So I really had to wrestle with this. And then I started thinking about, well, what are we talking about when we're ranking them? Um, and it, it can't be prisoner of the moment. Well, just what happened this summer. It can't be, um, it, I'm thinking about it in terms of capability versus results, right? Mm -hmm. So let me think of, let me put it this way. Um, the last heat championship was six years ago, right? Right. Um, and the Heat won two championships in this decade. And Pat Riley is still Pat freaking Riley. And Andy Ellisberg is still a cap genius. And the same guys who brought together the, the super team are all still there. They haven't lost anything. They're not, they're, not, they're not any less smart today or less clever or less shrewd, less uh, visionary or anything else. And Pat Riley is still Pat freaking Riley. So I don't want to like the, the heat don't deserve to be there or that pronounced doesn't deserve to be dismissed in a discussion like this um, based on um, capability. But if we're, we have to introduce results, right? Because if we just say that the Spurs are always there because RC and pop are great and they won five championships over 15 years. If we just say Riley's always there, well then we're, we're giving them a pass over the actual results. You have to have the results. It would just be, it would it'd be just like the years where like LeBron's team underachieves and you go, well, he's still the best player in the game, but he didn't have the championship at the end. So, you know, you, like you, it, it's the same thing. We don't just give like the, the superstars, the automatic, we still need to see the results when we're talking about like the MVP race, whatever it may be. And otherwise LeBron would have won a few more MVPs. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, this is not to say that Pat Riley took a month off in the middle of the season <laughs> right. as LeBron sometimes did defensively. Um, so that there's all my prelude. Um, I do not have the heat in the top five. Mm -hmm. Um, my top five in no particular order at the moment. And again, my next five are all really close. Uh, the Clippers are in there. The Warriors, mm -hmm. the Raptors. Mm -hmm. I still have Danny Ainge and the Celtics there. And I've got the Rockets there. That would be my top five right now. Okay. Um, do you, do you want to hear my next five or do you want, do you want to uh, make get, me explain get, my top five? No, no. G do the next five real quick. And then I, I, I'm, I just wrote down your top five. So we'll go through those. But yes, go, give, give me the next right. five. The next five are in no particular order. Oklahoma, Utah, Denver, San Antonio still in there, and Brooklyn. Gotcha. And, and again, what I'm looking at is not just whether I think teams are capable. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, 
Wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. Whether these front offices, the GMs, the owners who, who have to support and, uh, and, and, and supply the resources for those GMs and empower those GMs. It's not just about that. It's also about what did they accomplish? And like front offices, this is one other quick note. Executive of the year, like, is I think one of the weirdest awards that yeah. the NBA does. And we, we, the media, don't vote on that one. The other executives do, which makes it even more weird because they all have biases uh, for and against each other um, <laughs> and they're picking it. But executive wait, 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 of the wait. year. Wait, 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 wait. How are like the year, like the year that Gar Foreman uh, tied, yes, like that. Tied, tied, tied Pat <laughs> Riley after the Heat acquired LeBron freaking James? Hey, come and on. Chris Gar Foreman got Carlos. Gar Foreman got Carlos Boozer. Come That's on, right. man. I, how could I forget? Yes. I know. Credit where it's due. Yeah. Um, He's still trying yeah, to join that the was heat, a year... by the way. He's been trying for 20 years. Go, go on. Continue. <laughs> that was a year where the weirdness of the executive of the year voting came into play. Um, but the other weird thing about it is that teams are not made in one summer. I mean, sometimes they are. It was in 2010. Um, and it maybe was sort of even with the Clippers and Nets this past summer. But executive of the year is more of a rolling or, or evaluating an executive needs to be a rolling three, four, five, six year thing, right? It's what you right. do over a certain time span because you, sometimes you're setting up your next moves. Sometimes it's about the cumulative um, impact of multiple drafts or mm-hmm. multiple free agent periods. Like, it, you just can't, it's never one summer, even though we'll talk about the Clippers, how this was a transformative summer for them in 2019. It was really the work they did over the last two, three years, mm-hmm. especially the last two, the Blake Griffin trade, what that led to, and then the Tobias Harris trade, and what that led to, and picking Shea Gilgis Alexander, and you know acquiring Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell and the Chris Paul deal. Like they did so much other stuff to build to the point where Kawhi Leonard and Paul George could say, "That's where I want to be," mm-hmm. and it's all of that buildup that is why I'm not I'm not giving the Clippers this based on recency bias. It's not because of what they did three weeks ago or whatever it's been four weeks ago. It's because of everything they did to put themselves in a position to get that. And a lot of the guys who are still there to support those two stars. So that's how I'm looking at this. But so just to be real clear, it's not about right now today. It's about a, a, a three to six year span or whatever of everything that you've done to put yourself in a position and how those, those results played out. All right. So I'm going to challenge you on your top five a little bit. Okay. Um, right. I, I, I am with you on the Clippers. I, and as you said, even with the heat, uh, 2010, like I said, that was a, that was a three-year plan basically. I mean, where they decided not to basically, so I, I'm with you on the rolling part of this because I mean, they decided, you know, we're, we're not going to give Dwayne, you know, try to get a second start for Dwayne now. I mean, they did a couple things, the Jermaine O'Neal deal, the Sean Marion thing, but like for the most part, like it was, you know, we're, we're going to kind of gut this thing for 2010, stay competitive, and then we'll gut it, clear the decks and, and try to make the move there. So it is always a rolling thing. I'm going to give you the Clippers and it's not just, uh, what they've done lately. It's just Jerry West is in the front office. Like, I, I'm just, I'm sorry. Like, that, that's, I mean, we say we're not going to give recency bias or, or, or just give like a lifetime achievement award either. Okay, he deserves both. Like, I just, it's, it's, Jerry, it's Jerry freaking West. Like, just, yes, okay. I mean, he's the one guy. Like, if seriously, if he calls you as another NBA GM, hang up. 
Okay. Decline the call. Do what Howard's done <laughs> twice here. Hang up. Okay. And, and not only that, but you've, you've also got Doc. You've got Lawrence. Right. I mean, you have a combination of yeah, Palmer yes. who spend. I mean, it, it's just an impressive room. Like it's why I Michael they, Winger, Trent Redden. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, it's, it's, a, it's a great group. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, so I, to me, the Clippers are in there. Um, the Raptors are in there for sure. Uh, you know what Masai did. I mean, he did, you know, he took the ultimate risk a general manager can take, which is we're going to go for it yep. now. And, and it paid off. And so I, to me, he's, he's minted for life. Like, I mean, you know, whatever happens now. And he ends up getting a guy in Siakam in the draft who now he can actually move forward with a competitive team after, you know, the second part of this, which was trying to keep Kawhi, which was never likely. Uh, but, you know, the, after that didn't end up working out. But now he has somebody else to build around. So uh, to me, the Clippers and, and the Raptors are definitely in there. Um, I, okay, now the Warriors, um, yes and no. Okay, for me. Uh, yes, because Bob Myers certainly deserves that. And Jerry West was a big part of this before, too, which is why Clay Thompson's still there uh, instead of who could have been Kevin Love or somebody else from all those years ago. But I, I don't think the Warriors have done a fantastic job here over the past couple of years refreshing this thing. I mean, I, they haven't developed players. I, the Heat were, were guilty of this, too, towards the end of LeBron era. But they haven't really developed good rotation players as just sort of, you know, to, to help out their core. Uh, I don't think they handled the Durant thing particularly well. Uh, Boogie was a worthwhile risk. You know, obviously they've re-signed Draymond. I'm, I would keep them in the top five, but they, to me, I, I don't know. I, I want to see it. Like this D'Angelo Russell move to me, are they going to keep him? Are they going to flip him? How does he fit? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, they had to give away draft picks to give up uh, their heart and soul. In my view, uh, uh, Draymond's one too, but their other heart and soul player in Iguodala. I don't think it's – I don't think they've managed it particularly well. Now, now these things are impossible to manage. We saw it with the Heat. We've seen it with pretty right. much every, every mini dynasty or dynasty. I mean, it, they're really difficult to manage, but I just don't – they haven't been perfect lately. I'll just put it that way. I, I don't, and I don't know that you can be, but I would keep them in the top five, but they might slip out. Your other two, though, your other two – I'm going to challenge these. Um, and I, and <laughs> I, right. might, I might look at some in your second five. Um, look, right. uh, let, let, let's, let's start with Danny, all right? Um, you have to be able to build the assets to be accused of squandering the assets. So I'm going to give him credit for getting all the stuff he got and for fleecing Brooklyn uh, at the end of Pierce and Garnett's careers and all the other trades that he made. But the reality is, okay, and, and for drafting Tatum, okay, and picking up the extra draft pick, and there's a lot there that's positive, right, instead of taking faults or whatever. But, you know, if you look at some of the picks, it hasn't worked out so great. Um, they've mismanaged things internally where guys haven't wanted to stay. And somehow they had all of those assets. The picks that they got didn't turn out to be what we thought they would be necessarily, but they don't have a lot of great players from it or great potential players. And, I mean, they pretty much just had to sort of overpay, in my view, overpay Kemba Walker to do what Kyrie was doing, you know, at, in my view, a higher level. I, I, I don't know, man. I like, is, is the shine still on Danny for you? Because I, for me, it's, it's a little bit off. So – it's, a, it's certainly a more complicated picture than it was a couple of years ago where people would have, hands down, no one would have disputed that they were in the top five, right? That Danny was oh, in the no, top five. No, 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 no question. Right. Top, top three. Yeah, right. no question. Right. 
Right. So we look at it differently now because of some of the results that have followed. And that's fair. As I just said, it's not about capability. It's versus it's about results or it's about both, really. Um, so let's talk about the results first, though. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are two of the more important players, I would say, on this uh I guess slightly watered down version of team USA right now. Slightly but watered the, down. It's like, it's like, so, it's like somebody just poured like a whole bottle of vodka in it. It's, it's not slightly. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, yeah. It's, okay. It's, I don't know if right, that, but, I don't know if that team makes the conference finals, but anyway, that's another question. No, but they're going to, no, but they, but they'll probably win gold in China um, in a few weeks. And we will see, you know, just how capable those two guys are. And, and Jason Tatum, you know, a year ago at this time, we were talking about as, you know, ready to bust out perennial all-star. And then this past year was a little bit of a step back. It was a little bit of a step back for Jalen Brown as well. But I don't think anybody around the league would, would dispute that these are two really promising, very talented, still growing, still young players who fit today's game very well because of their versatility and their size and length. And so at a minimum, Danny you know, drafted those two. Now, there are a bunch of draft misses, including some of those early Nets picks. I think like James Young was one of those, right? So I've always said this, and I will always say this about uh, when we were evaluating front offices and the draft. Whether you're drafting high, whether you're drafting low, wherever you're, you cannot evaluate any team based on, on some sort of like standard of a perfect record. There are no perfect records. Even Jerry West, the great Jerry West, did, had a bunch of misses, okay? Um, I, I was I was there for you know uh, you know Corey Hightower and Mark Madsen and some other you know uh, gaffes along the way. Yeah, but like, Mark Madsen misses. could dance though, man. Like I mean, you got to give Mark. Uh, I, mean, well, I mean, you're not taking that yeah. into account. <laughs> um, every everybody has their misses. Also, I wasn't a big fan of the uh, Eddie Jones and Eldon Campbell for Glenn Rice deal, even though they did win a championship with Glenn Rice. Anyway, um, everybody has their misses, and and Danny had some misses. But, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like the same thing that people do with the whole Sixers thing. Well, the process wasn't all that great. What, you know, what about that Okafor pick? I don't care about the Okafor pick. The whole point of the process was to get as many bites of the apple as you could, knowing that the draft is a crapshoot and you're always going to have some misses. So the more chances you've got to draft high, uh, high, high talent high in the draft, the better off you are. They got Embiid and Simmons. Ergo, process was a success. Um, Danny got himself a bunch of picks, used some, traded some. Did they all work out? No. He got Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Uh, Rozier was a very good player for them and was critical in the beginning of the conference finals uh, in, in 2018. So they, they, didn't, they didn't, like, screw it up. Now, trading for Kyrie, it's such a mixed bag. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was, was, was damaged goods, and maybe, maybe they knew that better than anybody. And so, you know, on talent, they made a great trade. Um, we can see based on now that the, the last two years that on chemistry, that was a risk that that kind of backfired on them. On the other hand, every team in the league would have traded for Kyrie probably. Yeah. Despite there were, I mean, all these concerns about him and his personality, his playing style. Sometimes everybody shared those around the league, and every single team around the league probably would have traded for him anyway because he's that talented. So I'm not going to hold that against him. And that it blew up on them. I mean, sometimes you take a swing and it just and it just doesn't work out, and. I, I, again, I can't fault them for the swing. Um, Al Horford decided to go, but that was also because I think the Celtics didn't want to pay Al Horford $100 million over whatever it was, three, four years, because of his age and his recent injury history. Again, a reasonable decision. And also part of what has held them back the last two seasons that gets overlooked all the time, they got Gordon Hayward. That was a great 
coup to, to, right. to steal Gordon Hayward in, in free agency or to lure him in free agency. And then Gordon Hayward snapped his leg. And like, again, that's, you can't account for that. So they have gotten great draft picks, great free agents. Also, by the way, they traded out of the Markel Fultz spot to get Jason Tatum. Right. And, they <laughs> and another an pick first. with it. Right. They got an extra first. Right. No, I, I, like, he's done some really so, smart things. I'm just looking at the end product here, I guess. And I'm just saying. Right, they're a contender. Are they not? I, like, they, I, like they, they're not they a, are, I think. I, well, I, they're not as good as the other two. Uh, the two best teams. They're, they're in that. Right. But they're, in the, they're legitimately in the top four. And a break or two goes their way. We, like they're a viable conference finals team. I think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are going to be better without Kyrie there. I think that Kemba will be the better fit. Yes, the Kemba uh, deal is probably a little bit of an overpay given his age. But I think as much as, as it's easy to t- kind of chip away at the Celtics right now and, and, and Danny's the job he's done, I, I think this season is actually going to be uh, eye-opening where we're going to see that some of these players that people got a little bit uh, unsure of specifically Tatum, most importantly Tatum, mm-hmm. um, we may see a much different version of it, and it'll cause people to reevaluate once again. All right, well, let's look at your other one, and I, I'm definitely going to challenge you on this one. Um, and and, and I, I, it's not that I don't respect Daryl Morey and what they've done uh, down there, uh, but I feel like lately it's just, you know, <laughs> with them it's kind of – and they got out of the Chris Paul contract, but they had to take the Russell Westbrook contract to do it. I, I feel like everything with them is is kind of um, operating from a deficit these days with them. It's like it's just it's just like one desperation move after another that gets them deeper in a hole. Now, if they end up getting to the finals finally, uh, then it looks worth it. And look, Daryl Morey was the guy who identified James Harden as a guy that you wanted to pay. All right, and and he was right. Okay, whatever people think of Harden, he was right. That trade was a steal. Uh, you know, the, you know, the Chris Paul trade, they gave up more, I think, than people thought they did at the time because Harold's turned out to be a pretty good player. And, and uh, you know, and obviously Lou has been very helpful to the Clippers and, and, you know, probably could still be helpful to Houston. But I, I just, I don't, I mean, to me, just giving Chris Paul that contract was, I was like, what? Like, seriously? At his age, with his injury history, with what the last two years are they going to look like? And so from then, it was like, okay, how do we get out of that? All right, we're going to get a slightly, you know, worst deal in Westbrook and see if this chemistry experiment's going to work with, with Harden again. I would, I look at some of the teams you've got in your second group, and this is not even including, like I said, some of the perennials like a heat, you know, which I'm not going to make an art. It's hard for me. I believe that the heat had a very good off season. I think they've gotten back on track. It's hard for me to make an argument for the heat when, you know, they, they paid James Johnson, what they paid James Johnson and they gave Dion waiters four years and, and I don't want to revisit all that because Heat fans are tired of me doing it, but it took some of the luster off, no question. I think they've gotten back on track. I think what they did this offseason, they made a bunch of smart moves, in my view, and I think they're going to win 47, 48 games this year, which I, people disagree with me, but I think they're going to be good, and I, and I think they're positioning themselves. But I look at these, these other, and the thing that your, your second group all have in common is that with the exception of Brooklyn, which I kind of consider considered a small market, not even though they're a huge market because they're the second team in town, your other four, OKC, Utah, Denver, and San Antonio, are small market teams, basically, right? I mean, I mean mm-hmm. Denver, we can make an argument. But, but Utah, OKC, San Antonio, for sure. And they have less to work with than Houston does, just in terms of, you know, and I, I would put any of those four right now ahead of the Rockets, honestly. I, 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 think, I, I think what Utah has done there, what Dennis Lindsay has done there, I mean, look at that roster he's put together, okay, in Utah. Yeah. Like, Right. And yeah. af- after losing Gordon Hayward, like that was, I mean, they did everything they could to keep him. He was their star. 
what do they do? They draft Mitchell, great move. Okay, they locked up Gobert. Uh, and every move that they've made since to me since it has made sense. Um, and I just think it's almost impossible to do it in a place like that. I mean, Presti, uh, you know, I, I did, did a masterful job working out of a no-win situation this year. Denver's been terrific uh, since Connolly's got there. I mean, I mean, every, I mean, again, every move that they've made, the Millsap move, you can argue with a little bit, but like everything else they've done has made sense. And of course, the Spurs are the Spurs. Why would you still put Houston over like those four? And, and look, and Brooklyn, Sean Marks is a genius in my eyes. What he's done the last two years, you're you're close to it up there. So I I, yeah. I might look at any of those five teams and say I'd put them ahead of the Rockets right now. So the Rockets, it's interesting. Um, so let me go back to something you said earlier about the Warriors. Um, the Warriors are still in there for me without like all of your quibbles about them or, or the, the, the caveats or whatever, all fair. The reason the Warriors are still there anyway is the obvious. They won three championships. They went to five straight finals. And a lot of that had to do with who they had drafted. Some of that predates uh, all of this front office. Um, keeping the right guys, not trading Clay for Kevin Love, but then also getting KD. So you get KD and you go to you know three more finals and you win two more championships. Um, like that, that just that just negates everything else. You missed on draft picks. Yeah, that blows. Uh, you'd be that much better off if you had you know nailed a couple. But drafting low perennially is hard, as you've seen down there in Miami. So yeah, the, the longer you're great, the harder it is to get good talent in the door. They've missed on free agent pickups too. Boogie was, you know, a, a reasonable gamble, all that. But the three championships, the results, the five straight finals, just uh, – and, and getting KD, which was one of the greatest coups in NBA free agency history for a team of that uh, ability to still find a way to add a player of that stature is, is incredible. So it just negates everything else. The Rockets, the principle is somewhat the same but different results. They identified James Harden as a player who could be – a franchise star and one of the greatest players in the league. Now today everybody says, well, duh, but folks, like there's so much revisionist history on this. If you go back to the time of the Harden trade, nobody thought at the time, Oh, they ripped off the thunder and James Harden's going to be a perennial MVP candidate. He was a sixth man and he was a sixth man who um, had just come off a horrendous finals against the heat. And it, it, it's not as though the whole league knew this. If there, if there were, if, if everybody was that, uh, if it was that obvious that James Harden was going to become this guy, everyone would have been, would have been knocking down Sam Presti's door and making bigger, better offers. So they identified him. But it was also, again, the homework. So what did the Clippers do to get to Kawhi and Paul George wanting to be there? Well, they made all these other smart, smaller moves. What the, the Rockets did for years, Daryl constantly nailed low first and second round picks and free agent guys. It was always like the Chuck Hayes and those kind of guys. And he did it again with Clint Capella, who was 20, uh, 25th overall pick. Um, and Clint Capella has been their third most important player after Harden and Paul the last couple of years. Um, they got PJ Tucker. They got and then lost Trevor Ariza for cost reasons. And part of that is the shift in ownership changed up, I think, some of the math there or, or some of the, uh, the, the willingness to spend. But they, they, it was a really smart move when they got Tucker and, and Ariza and kind of rounded out their defense, became a really solid team, hiring Mike D'Antoni, who was the perfect match for Harden at that time. Um, so it's, it's about all of these other things and, and having Harden to build around. Now, to your point, it does feel like some of these moves in the last few years have been this, like these big desperation swings. And the reason for that is if you're you know, pretty much capped out and you've got a guy like James Harden, it is your absolute responsibility, your burden, your duty – your obligation to get him that second star. And so Daryl 
like any GM, analytics or no, everybody knows you need top five, top 10, top 20 at the minimum talent or a couple of those guys to win. So you can only go for the guys who are available. So he took all those swings at Dwight Howard. He took all those swings at Carmelo Anthony when Carmelo was still in his prime. Um, he got Chris Paul because that was the guy he could get. He got Dwight because that was the guy he could get. And then, you know, the Dwight thing soured as it sours everywhere Dwight goes. He got Chris Paul because that was the guy he could get. And when he made that deal, you know, cap violations aside, I think it was understood that if you were trading for him while, when, with him opting in, you were going to have to pay him at the end of that one year that he just opted into. So it locked them in. And, yeah, that contract was awful. And, yeah, they just traded it for one of the other – you know, toughest contracts in the league in, in Westbrook. And yeah, I am a, I'm very much a skeptic about Westbrook Harden as, as a one, two punch. Um, Daryl of course has told me I'm absolutely spectacularly wrong. We'll see. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, but nevertheless, he did it again. He just united two of the most recent MVPs. I don't know if it's going to work, but it takes a lot and it takes a lot of just, you know, uh, you know, fortitude to make those kind of moves in the first place. Uh, they've been bold. They've been aggressive. They've been creative. They've drafted well, often in lower positions. Those are all important things. And they're a team that we have talked about as a contender for multiple years running. All fair. Um, all fair. I'm with you on the Harden Westbrook thing. I mean, I think it's going to work. I just don't think it's going to work when it matters. I, you know, in other words, I, they're not going to be bad. Okay. They're, they're going to win in the fifties, no. but, but, but I, I, just, I think it's problematic. I think it's probably, I think when push comes to shove in a game six game and game seven of a, of a series against a team that's sort of better United, I think they're going to have difficulty. And that's why, again, I, I just, I think what's fascinating about this season is you've got these, you know, mini super teams in the West, whether it's Houston, the Clippers, the Lakers, and then you have two teams that I think are going to be better connected in Utah and Denver uh, that, that I think ultimately may be the teams that rise, um, you know, above them, even though maybe they don't have as many household names as, as these other teams. So it's, uh, this is going to be one of the more compelling seasons we've seen. I, I, look, I understand what you're saying about Daryl and all that stuff. I, I do feel I, – I, maybe it's just because it's become such, such a joke. It's like any time there's a player who's slightly available – I mean, it happens here too with Pat, to be honest. But any time – but, but the difference is Daryl's brag, like seems to be out there bragging about it to reporters, whereas the Heat don't talk. Okay. So, so it's just, it's, but, but it's just, no, like there's a guy out there. Okay. Houston to Miami, Houston to Miami, Houston to Miami. And it's like, oh shit, that James Johnson contract that really fucked us. You know, that's, it's, you know, I mean, that's been the, the consistent theme here. All right. So we've got your list. Um, I'm going to make you do one more thing before you go. You said it was easy to compile your bottom five. <laughs> I, I don't want all five. Just give me 30. Give me, give me 30. Oh, Who's, 30? Who's 30? Who's 30? Who's 30? Who's 30? Um, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to let the, the guys in my backyard off the hook, and I'm going to give it to Phoenix. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give it to Phoenix. And, 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 and listen, for some of these two, again, thank you and, and, and damn you for making me do this exercise. But as I, as I thought about these, some of it was, was well – you know, how do we evaluate guys who've only been in the seat for a couple of years? You know, right. uh, you know, Kobe Altman takes over for Griffin Cleveland. Right. He's had a couple of years of just cleanup work to do. How do we properly evaluate that? Is that even fair to him? Detroit, those guys just got there a couple of years ago trying to clean up a, a big cap mess there. Um, and Phoenix, it's yet another new group. But Phoenix is weighed down by the fact that their owner, Robert Sarver, has been a ma massive impediment for them. Right. He's been he's difficult to work for. He has made a lot of of, of kind of cost saving moves that have screwed them. He's, he's just, he's, he's, you know, often just hired the wrong people. Um, his, his, his meddling has gotten him in a lot of trouble. But isn't you know, the that, isn't that the, the common, isn't yeah. that the common theme though? Because, okay, if you're looking at, yeah. um, 
if you, if you, it, it's ownership mostly because uh, if if you look yeah. at I mean let's look at the teams that are typically perceived to be at the bottom right Phoenix uh, you mentioned Cleveland if LeBron's not there right and you know I have a personal relationship mm-hmm. with Kobe I've got a personal relationship with James Jones so it's like you know it's like I, they're smart guys okay uh, but it's just you know what do you do with ownership there I think and maybe you can speak this, I think Scott Perry's a smart guy but like what do you do with that ownership in New York. Um, you know, so uh, to me, those three organizations and then Sacramento also where, you know, I think they've turned things around a little bit, but you know, there's some questions there about how that thing is run. I, I, I think, I guess sometimes the free, uh, in order for front office to be good, you have to have stable ownership, right? I mean, that's, that's yes. the major thing here. And, and the teams you're talking about don't that that's the, that's the, the be- right. The, the, the best owners um, hire the right people, empower them without meddling um, are engaged without being uh, disruptive. So you can't be completely hands-off. If you're Mikhail Prokhorov, you were probably too hands-off. Or if you were uh, Robert Pera in Memphis, who's just never even there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be, so there, there, there's, there's, a, there's a, a happy medium there somewhere between hands-off and meddling. Um, and you need, so you need to hire the right people, empower them, be engaged without being meddling, um, spend, uh, and spend smartly, of course. And so what happens in a place like Phoenix is Sarver doesn't spend, and especially when he really needed to, when they were good, and you know, traded away guys, traded away picks to, to offload contracts, all this kind of stuff during, during, during their best period. And then on top of that, he has been meddling, and he has been one of those guys who thinks he knows more than his GM does, and he often hasn't even hired the right GM. So when I say that they're 30th, I'm not, that's not a shot at James Jones. I don't, but look, they didn't exactly um, – you know, uh, vindicate themselves real well with this past draft night right. and, and everything they did there. So um, it, it, it's tough, but right now, largely on the basis of the instability over the last several years and on their owner, not so much the GM, I think I would put them there. But, you know, the Knicks could be in that 30th slot all the time. And given how <laughs> badly they struck out this summer after trading away their franchise star just to offload contracts and, and, and then made all this noise about we're going to get guys, guys want to come here, you know, and yeah, it's it's you know there's this 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 uh, backlash from some you know part of the Knicks fandom where it's like well it's your guys' fault in the media for for raising hopes like no we're taking our cues from your team and right. from the owner in the front office who were telegraphing this not just to us but to the entire league and they missed and they missed for good reason and so like they would be a very deserving choice for that as well I think that they did enough in terms of the let's just grab a bunch of like solid players at reasonable prices um, that I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, give them a break for the moment. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think they're, I don't think they think they're significantly, they're going to be significantly better competitively on the court, right? Like they're going to, they're going to win more games, but that's a low bar. They won 17 games. They're going to win more games, but they're going to top out somewhere in the mid to high twenties probably. Um, and I don't see uh, like they, they didn't sign a bunch of players who are now going to be the core of a future perennial contender. They, they signed a bunch of guys. Yeah. Um, I, I still don't see a guy who's going to be their franchise star. You know, it, I don't think it's Dennis Smith jr. Um, I don't think it's Kevin Knox. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be RJ Barrett, um, but I just, I don't, I don't know what the plan is. And if, and if you've gone this far and it's still hard for us to see, well, what's the, the long-term plan? What's the vision? Um, then that's a problem. And so, you know, again, the Knicks would be a deserving choice there as well. Yeah, I think just about every year. Well, actually, it's funny. You know, it's uh, basically the owner owner you described is uh, the one we have here. So I I think, um, you know, he's 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 involved without meddling. Um, You know, the only question with Mickey 
uh, sometimes comes down to luxury tax and whether he wants to spend it or not. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's been an issue at times. I, I think their philosophy on it is if, if the team is worth it, they'll spend it. If the team is not, it's not worth them getting themselves in a repeater situation. And, and I think that actually proved to be smart. I mean, you know, people didn't like it when they dumped Roddy Magruder on the last day of the season, but it got them out of a tax situation. And now, you know, it created themselves a little bit of flexibility. So, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll talk to Howard again, uh, maybe next year. We'll see if, if, uh, if the Heat end up winning 48 game, 48 to 50, and get Bradley Beal, and I can do a wat-wat to Candace Buckner at, in January <laughs> or February. Uh, we'll, we'll have you back. What would you put, I, before I let you go, what would you put the odds of Bradley yeah. Beal being traded before February? Um, I think it's at least 50, 50, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's not the kind of thing that Tommy Shepard's going to be doing on day one or month one after, you know, inheriting that job after being, being hired to, to replace Ernie Grunfeld. Uh, but listen, you know, uh, that, that team is stuck. They're absolutely stuck because of John Wall's contract and because of, of just the, the, the their, their whole general situation there, Bradley Beal at some point, he's already, you know, he hasn't rejected the extension, but he hasn't accepted it either. I think that that's a warning sign. I think that the, you know, the, the, the murmurings for the last, at least the last year or two have been Bradley Beal's eventually going to want out because things are not all rosy with John Wall. And that was before John Wall went down. And now with John Wall you know, recovering from an incredibly difficult injury and having a max deal that was already considered an albatross contract even before he got hurt, if you're Bradley Beal, how can you want to stay there? Like, how can you possibly see a competitive, viable, rewarding future there, given the situation? I think it's, an, I, to me, it, this is not, I, I don't, I'm not trying to tell you I know what Bradley Beal is thinking. I'm just saying the most logical thing, and especially in today's NBA, where stars move all the time and where they, they often are now prioritizing winning in the right situation, playing with the right guys over all kinds of other considerations, whether it's pay, whether it's city, whether it's whatever. It, it would, to me, defy logic and all current trends for Bradley Beal to just say, yeah, this is fine. Give me the max extension and I'll, I'll stick it out and we'll see where it goes. Um, you know, listen, I, I have all faith in the world that Tommy Shepard can turn this around, but he's dealing with a very difficult hand. And I don't know that Bradley Beal or anybody else in that situation, a star in their prime, would – um, would want to take that leap of faith because it, it's going to be, it's going to take time. It may take too much time. So um, maybe it's even 60, 40 in favor of Beal being traded, but you know, uh, I'll do respect to Candace who I love. Um, I, I think Beal's eventually on the move. I, I, I wouldn't, I don't know where he's going. I don't know if that's Miami, but uh, I, I think I'd, I'll put it this way. I'll be surprised if Bradley Beal's still a wizard a year from now. All right. I'm going to send this to Candace right after we get off. So, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> all right howard thanks for doing it follow him at howard beck of follow his work on bleach report once he gets back from his well-deserved vacation um and hopefully we'll do this again soon awesome been a pleasure Ethan. thanks for having me After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.